here's something that I've uh, figured out about life. Uh, most of the lessons that I've learned, uh, I caught them rather than uh, having them taught to me. Has everybody, has everybody heard that saying? Most of what you know, you caught you, you, rather than what, you know, learning from what you got taught. Uh, <laughs> I can listen to you say things over and over and over again, but it's not until I experience them. And a lot of times, it's not until I see you do them uh, that I really understand what you were talking about. Like, let's take my house, for example. You've heard me talk about it for the last six months. You've got to be bored. You've got to be just tired of hearing about this house. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to kind of reflect. We've been living in there about seven weeks. It is a blessing. Uh, but as I kind of walk up to my house every day, and I, r- I recall all the things that have had to happen, so that this, if you don't know, I, we, we uh, purchased a house that was built in 1961 and basically redid the whole thing. We were our own reality show, just without the cameras. And uh, uh, so we had lots of qualified people helping us with us, but I was trying to save money. So whatever I thought I could do, I would try. And it, just so you could kind of, you know, separate the, the wins from the losses here, uh, usually when I went out and just tried to do it on my own, things did not go well. I would watch a YouTube video and be like, oh, I got this, right? And, uh, and, and there would be some, I shouldn't, I, I'm, I'm giving myself no credit. There would be some things that I would be able to do. Like, a, like here's a picture of me on an on a, uh, excavator that I rented. And I dug this, you know, uh, this huge, all by myself, this huge trench uh, that became the, the trench that the, the Tico pipe went down. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. But uh, just so you know, nailed it totally, all right? All right? And I got kind of cocky in my uh, excavator abilities. And I thought, well, you know, if I can dig holes this well, I'm surely I can use the back part of this and start pushing dirt around. And I think I told this story earlier this year. Uh, but I started pushing dirt around. Uh, and I forgot about this little uh, arm on the, you know, because I raised it up really high so it wouldn't get in the way. Uh, and and <laughs> I was pushing dirt around with this little, you can barely see it, but there's this little blade on the front of it. And uh, I started getting closer to my house. And I started hearing noises. And, and, the, and, the, and the tractor would actually stop at different points. And uh, th- this is the dent I left in the ridge of my home. Go to the next slide, please. And this is the first dent where that arm hit the ridge of my, my roof. And I was like, well, that was weird. So I backed up, and I, I went at it again. And here's the second dent. Can you go to the next slide? You gotta, this is comedy. You've got to stay with me up there. Go to the next slide. Is that it? All right. And then, then finally, on the third dent, can you go to the next slide? Can you not go to slides up there? Oh, there we go. Oh, no, here we go. There's the slide. Oh, There's like five dents now. Oh, my gosh, there's more. Second dent, go to the next slide. Third dent, there it is, right on the ridge of my house. This, this, is, this is when I realized, something's not right. <laughs> and these are the pictures I sent my roofing buddy who came over and helped me make things right. Now, contrast that to what I did yesterday. Uh, yesterday, uh, th- there's been just, uh, my, my yard's been a moonscape. We got some sod in, and uh, we still didn't have a walkway, a proper walkway up to our house. It was just a bunch of dirt. And uh, so I, uh, I, I called my buddy, his name's Dennis, but I call him OSHA, okay, like, like, the, like the people who monitor businesses, because he does everything right. Has anybody got someone like that in their lives? You've got to have OSHA in your life. You've got to have someone who knows how to do what they're doing. And so OSHA comes over, he's got this whole trailer full of tools. I, get, you know, I go pay for all the materials, and I'm there to do whatever I can do to, uh, you know, to assist in the process, but OSHA and I... Uh, we put together, isn't this a beautiful walkway leading up to my house? It's very nice. You should come and see it. No, uh, but uh, I, I can tell you that that's level, and it's done right. And I can tell you that because I was involved 
this much in it. Is everybody with me on this? All right. But this, this is why I love doing projects with people who know what they're doing. Guys like OSHA. I watch. And listen, I talk about how inept I am. I was way inepter, you know, back before a lot of these projects. And as I've watched guys, and as I've learned that a lot of times it's not so much your abilities and skills, it's having the right tools. It's just knowing how to go about these things. It's following the steps. It's like a recipe. And as I, as, as I sit there, you know, and, and Dennis will tell me, like, here's, how, here's how we're doing this, and here's why we're doing this, here's how we're going to level this out. But as I watch him do it, as I watch him screed off the sand, and as I watch him lay the, the bricks in a certain pattern so that they go correctly, as we, as we make certain cuts so that we can make curves, these all register up here, right? So that the next time I ever uh, do a walkway for a house, I can at least be of some assistance in the process because I've seen it done and learned as a result. Are you with me? Well, that's a long way around to just talk about uh, the characters of the Bible. Have you ever read your Bible and been like, oh, look at that guy. Uh, that guy uh, seems like an incredible success. But then you go a few more chapters and I'm like, oh, that guy's a total idiot. Aren't you glad? I don't know if you're glad about this. I am. I am so grateful that God didn't you know, choose to write his story uh, about perfect people. He just wrote a story about people like you and me, uh, or told the story of people like you and me that he in, interacted with in history, uh, and they fell forward a lot of times. They, they, they made mistakes. They learned from those mistakes. They had great uh, victories and, and, and were used of God in incredible ways. But, but for the most part, they're just, they're just us. They're, you know, we're there. We're them. We're the, we're, guys like Peter. We're going to talk about Peter today. Peter's one of my favorite guys in all of Scripture because uh, he was uh, talk first, think later, Right? I can relate to that. Sometimes he'd shoot off the mouth and it would get him in trouble. Sometimes uh, he would act without thinking. See, cutting off a guard's ear uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He would make all kinds of boasts and not be able to follow through. He was a chicken at different times in his life. I can relate to that. And that's what makes his his victory so inspiring to me. That God took this fisherman, this impetuous, uh, petulant fisherman... And used him as the cornerstone of the early church. He called him as much. In Matthew 16, he says, you're going to be my rock. And I, I, that's why I'm going to call you Peter. It means rock. And I'm, on you, I'm going to build a church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We, we, we started last summer reading Acts, and we saw in Acts chapter 2, here comes Peter. Flawed, messed up, Peter. And he delivers the message. On the day of Pentecost, it sees 3,000 people join the church on the first day. Peter and the other apostles, but Peter primarily, lead the early church into existence. And we get to look at Peter as, as, as he lives his life. And we get to learn from Peter and from guys and ladies like him in the Bible. And we get to say, that's how you do this. There are mentors. There are OSHAs when it comes to the spiritual life. I mean, I love, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, Luke, Luke uh, wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the book of Luke. Good. Who guessed Luke? Did anybody guess Luke? <laughs> he wrote Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts that we're studying. He wrote one of the Gospels, the story of Jesus and his life from birth till death and resurrection. But then he wrote the, the story of the early church, Acts. And who, does anybody remember who he wrote it for? He wrote it for this guy named Theophilus. If you read the first verses of both Luke and Acts, you'll see my, you know, he, my beloved Theophilus, my dear Theophilus. Theophilus was this guy who apparently had just started in his Christian faith. And Luke, uh, wanting to help Theophilus understand how it is that you live this Christian life, told him first Jesus' story, 
and then told him the church's story. And in it, he, listen, isn't it great? Does anybody love to read this, the, the words that Jesus says, like in the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? When, when, when Luke reported the teachings of Christ, I mean, I love those. But they're just amazing. But do you ever notice that in Jesus' life, whatever he says, he does? Like when he says, turn the other cheek, does everybody notice that Jesus is a cheek turner? When, when he says, I didn't come to be served, but to be a servant and die as a ransom for him. Did everybody see that in Jesus' life? His walk matched his talk. And as Luke spells out the stories in the, Luke, uh, book, or the Gospel of Luke of, of how Jesus lived, I think those speak as much, if not more, than the words of Christ themselves. He gets into the book of Acts, and here's Peter and all these just yokels, these, these normal guys, fishermen, ex-tax collectors, all these dudes who are just kind of doing their best. And they say lots of things, but then they go and they do those things. And those actions are what propelled the early church uh, through a, a trying and harrowing time. It's what's given us 2,000 years of history. Just disciple after disciple, follower after follower, hearing the truth, living the truth, setting the example for those who would come after them. I hope that's how you see the Bible. It's not just a bunch of words of instruction. It's the reports of those who lived out the instruction. And we can be encouraged in our walk because God enabled them to do what he commanded them to do. Today we're just going to look at Peter. I titled the message a long time ago back when I started envisioning this series, Peter the Healer. Indeed, he does heal twice in the text that we're going to read today. Uh, Peter was given a special blessing by the Holy Spirit to be able to heal. Uh, but we're going to, uh, as, as he goes through those healings, we're just going to look at how he lived, the things that he did. He's going to be our OSHA, our, our mentor for the morning. And we're going to learn from him how we should live this Christian life. Some of you aren't Christians yet. Listen, these are the things that you can look forward to when you finally make that decision to follow Christ. Many of you have been Christians for a long time. And sometimes we can kind of just get used to being what we are. And we forget uh, that we're on this mission together. Everybody understand? You've heard me say this before. The church is not a place. It's not a noun. It's a verb. We're, the, we're, a, we're on a mission. The ecclesia, the, the called out ones. We are the ones called out of, uh, of the norm of, of, of humanity. And we've been called to the mission of God. To be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. To go and make disciples. To baptize in the name of the... Of, of, the, of Jesus and, and to teach them all that he has commanded. That's, that's our mission. And sometimes we just kind of be like, all right, Sunday morning, here we go. What will I wear today? Same thing I wore last week. Bay Life t-shirt, awesome. And I'm just going to kind of show up and do my hour and, I don't know, let's remember. We're all disciples. And as defined in the scriptures, a disciple is someone who's committed to making more disciples. So we're on this mission together, and we need to learn from those who have done it before us. Let's learn some things from Peter. Let's start here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Sometimes in the book of Acts, and there's just kind of these, uh, these transition verses. It's the best thing I can call it. They kind of are wedged between stories. Like last week, we talked about this guy named Saul. Heard of him? He becomes Paul the apostle. Anybody heard of him? All right, so, so remember last week we talked about him? Uh, he had just kind of come into Damascus. He's had his conversion experience. He goes into the synagogues. He talks about how, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And, and then he takes like a three-year break. It's not really mentioned in the book of Acts, but in the book of Galatians it tells us that Saul uh, takes a three-year break out in the deserts of Arabia 
comes back to Damascus, all that to say, he's getting really fired up about Jesus, and everybody who used to be on his side who aren't fired about Jesus, uh, fired up about Jesus, the Jews primarily, they're getting really bad at, at Saul. And so last week we talked about the fact uh, that, that Saul was going to, well, they were going to ace him. They were going to end Saul. And Saul caught word of it, and his friends lowered him down outside the city walls of Damascus uh, with a rope and a basket. We talked about how every once in a while, everybody needs someone with a rope and a basket in the midst of life. Isn't that true? Yeah. So, so, but Saul experienced that. Saul goes up to Jerusalem, and in a very truncated form here, uh, we see uh, his, his two-and-a-half-week vacation to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the early church in Jerusalem, and he's like, hey, it's me, Saul of Tarsus. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to hang out with you at all. The last time we heard of you, you were killing Christians. Why don't you kind of keep back? But then this guy named Barnabas, he comes up to his fellow believers there in Jerusalem. He says, hey, man, Saul good. Remember I said that, I said that last week? Uh, <clears throat> it's okay. You can trust Saul. Saul Saul's, Saul's one of us. I've heard his story. I know that he's professed Christ. He's, he's taught in the synagogues in Damascus. He's one of us now. We talked about how there are certain times in our lives that are life-determining moments. That if things don't go good here, things aren't going to end up where they end up. And Barnabas stood in the gap. So, so all those things we talked about last week, if you haven't heard it, go online. You can watch it. But now you come, we're going to shift gears. We're not going to talk about Saul anymore. In fact, Saul's going to get a little break. We're going to talk about Peter for like the next chapter and a half, two chapters. And then Saul, or Paul, as he'll be called, will basically dominate the back half of the book of Acts. But here in the next little bit, we're going to talk about this guy named Peter. So here's this verse in the middle, all that to say, that kind of transitions us. It's an important verse. Don't just skip over these transition verses. They're important to see. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So basically the entire early church as it existed at the time. The church everywhere had what? Had peace. and was being built up in this time period after Saul's arrival in Jerusalem and things like that. There, there was this little, uh, you know, crack in the clouds, this little lull in the storm. You know, where it were, I mean, it was raging and raging and raging and then there's this little beam of light that just shoots and there's just this, this time of peace in the history of the church. You've got to know, in the first century church, these times were few and far between. It just didn't happen that the early church got a break. It didn't happen that they got a breather. But here in this particular instance, they're in a good spot. The church had peace and it was being built up. People were growing in their faith. There was, uh, there was people walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting word there. It doesn't mean just that the, the Holy Spirit was ministering to people and they were feeling his peace and all those things that we mentioned before. But they were, people were, were, as they were being built up in their understanding of who Jesus was, they were walking step, in, step by step in the, in the path that the Holy Spirit had. That, that's the most comfortable place. Everybody understands that, right? The most comfortable that you could be is in step with God, in the step with the plan that he has for your life. And in this time of peace, they were there. They were rocking it in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened in the church during this time? It multiplied. Amazing. I mean, you're like, you know, people got bigger? No. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. If they put a Chipotle in over there, that would happen. But, uh. (laughs) No, it means there's more and more people coming to the church. Because here's what happens when a church uh, experiences the blessing of God's peace, uh, builds up in their faith, uh, follows, you know, as, as, as in, the, in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When a church does that, people can't stay away. 
You've got to understand that when people see God through his people functioning the way he's supposed to, that is way attractivo. I don't know if that was Spanish. I tried. But anyway, people, people just love that. And they're like, I've got to have some of that. Yeah, does anybody want to guess that this is my prayer for our church? Now, for the most part, listen, we're still living in America. We've got this, this, this uh, grace that we have to come and gather and worship. That doesn't happen everywhere. And we've, we worship in freedom. But here's what happens a lot of times when you have this long run like we've had in America of, of relative peace. Is that people just kind of go to sleep. People just kind of like, okay, well. Church is easy. And it should be in this time, in this era, in this, in this culture that we live in where we have all these blessings and all this peace that we are living in the fear of God. We are walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that we are growing as a church. You've got to understand that. This is the good times. We're going to look at uh, Peter in this period of the church's history and how he lived. Here's some lessons that we can learn from Peter, our mentor. Remember, we're looking to him for how we should live this life. Uh, in this time of peace, uh, Peter refused to stay still. He kept moving. Even though everything was saying, hey man, take a break. Uh, we're in a lull right now. Catch some Z's. Peter wasn't about that. In fact, Peter was more active in this time than he had been in the earlier days of the church. He had stuck around mostly in Jerusalem. But in this time of, of relative peace, he's, he's moving. Look what it says. It says in verse 32, Now as Peter went here, how, where'd he go? Say it with me. Here and there. And he, he was among them, how many? He hung out with a bunch of people here and there. Uh, in his journeys, he came, to, came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Uh, Lydda is this place that uh, basically uh, the ruins of Lydda are buried under the Tel Aviv airport. Like modern Tel Aviv, that's where Lida is uh, or was. And uh, it's about 35 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So Peter, if you remember back in chapter 8, he had gone to check out what Philip had started in a place called Samaria, where most Jews didn't like to go. Uh, but he went over there and, and uh, he confirmed the work of the, of the gospel there and, and hung out there. And, but now he's moved, uh, that was northeast, now he's moved back to the west and he's, he's kind of stopped along the way. He's gone here and there, he's been ministering, he's been moving. Why? Well, because he's on a mission. And it's really hard to do the mission if you're not moving. Everybody, when you're done today, go outside, start your cars, uh, and uh, don't put it in drive, just leave it in park, and try to turn the wheels. Now, most of us have power steering, uh, so that helps a little bit, okay? But if you try to crank that wheel while that car's in park, it's a more difficult thing than... If you put that thing in gear and start moving and try to turn the wheel, well, that sucker will just move real easy. I've seen a lot of you train your kids on how to drive up here at the church. It's kind of like a, you know, a little driver's ed spot up here. I'm not recommending that. I'm not saying that's what we're trying to do. But hopefully one of the lessons you taught your kids when you were teaching them to drive up here is, hey, if you want to go in a direction, you've got to put this thing in gear. And if you want to turn so that you miss the trees, that prospect's going to be a lot easier if this sucker's moving. Hit the brakes a little bit. Huh. But things turn and go in directions far easier when they're moving. And I think the church, uh, one of our defaults because of our old nature is just to slow down, to stop, to settle. I, I hear this all the time because I'm, I'm, I'm getting older every year. Are you? Right? Uh, the older we get, 
the more we have experiences in our past, and the more we say, you know, been there, done that, check it off. I served for 10 years in the children's ministry. I did my time. We, we, treat, we treat servanthood in the church like it's a, a prison sentence, right? I did my time. I did a hard 10 uh, over with the fourth, you know, fourth graders. You know, it's like, what? Why, why do we see it that way? What, what, what possesses us to think that? Well, we, we look at our, our faith as, as, as an obligation rather than the opportunity that it is. We look at, we look at this thing as, as, as something we got to, you know, just, you know, morally live out because, you know, God's going to smush us if we don't, rather than to see it as a mission that we get to be a part of. And it is our grace, it's our blessing to be moving with the Spirit available to Him. God can do so much more with a church that's on the move than He can with a church that's just content to sit. It's just how it works. I was pushing wheelbarrows of bricks yesterday. Just real quick side note here. Uh, Work smarter, not harder. Who's heard that? I've learned that a lot in this project because I had this whole pallet of bricks, some 400 old bricks, like heavy bricks, and they were sitting on a pallet in the front yard of my house. And uh, I knew I was going to use them for my walkway, but I had to get them out so they could put the sod in. So my son Cooper and I went out, you know, the beginning of July, sweating our, you know, brains out. Uh, we moved all these bricks over to another part of my yard. And if I just moved them to the other side of the walkway I'm building right now, it would have been so much easier. But I didn't do that because I'm Mark, and that's how I do things. <laughs> so now Cooper's at work yesterday. Uh, he couldn't help me. And so, uh, you know, I was, the, I was the mule. I, was the, I, had to, I had to lug all these bricks back. So eight loads of, of wheelbarrow bricks uh, so that we could put these things in that walkway, which is fine. I'm still young. Uh, but here's what I've noticed. I'm not as young as I used to be, so it's not like just easy for me to push these bricks. In fact, it is crucial that I get a good start. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like the, the hardest part of moving anything heavy in life is those first few steps. Because there's this thing called momentum. If you can get that going, well, now you can pretty much go over anything, right? But it's just getting that thing started. I made the mistake on like the third load. I was really tired. Hadn't had a drink for a couple hours. And, and I made the mistake of, of just as the grass, there's dirt, and then, you know, my grass starts. Just as the grass was starting, there was a little bump there. And I kind of got to that bump. I was like, Ugh, and I stopped. Well, now I'm on grass trying to push this huge load. And I've already started it once. I mean, it just about did me in. I was like, and then finally got going again. And I feel like that's a lot of times, unfortunately, what happens in the spiritual life with those who follow Jesus. They stop. And, and, and this, this thing that was never meant to stop is hard to get going again. Well, because we're just used to not moving. We kind of like it. But that's not, that's not how we roll. We're on a mission. And this mission requires movement. And if the Holy Spirit's going to lead you the Holy Spirit's going to turn you. Listen, we all sat here a couple weeks ago and we talked about the fact that we want to, many of us raised our hands and said we want to be used of God this year to share our faith with someone and see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. What an awesome commitment for a church to make. I pray that every one of us has the opportunity to do that, but I will guarantee you zero success if you're just content to sit in your house and pray for someone. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll, get talk, I'll talk about prayer later today. Prayer has to be involved in the mission of the church. But if all you're going to do is pray and not get out there and move and be around the people that you're trying to share your faith with and start conversations that could lead to the gospel. Are you with me? The two go together. And it's no longer okay for a church, for a follower of Jesus Christ, just to say, I'll sit here and hope for the best. We've got to move. 
I'm not a huge fisherman, but when I get to go out, here's what I know it's about fishing. <clears throat> I've never thrown the, the, the hook in the water the first time and caught a fish. Anybody? Some of you might have done that, and that is God's grace to you. That is not, that is not fishing, just so you know. That is catching. If it was that easy, they would call it catching, and it would be, we'd be done in 10 minutes. We'd get our limit. We'd be done. But it's not that easy. Fishermen, talk to me. Is it that easy? You spend hours getting ready for whatever your fishing trip is. If you go out in the bay, you've got to get the boat and the tackle and all that stuff. And then you have to drive out to the place. And then my experience is, is that I just get bait wet, right? I just throw fish out there, cast, cast, cast. Your arm gets tired. I don't hit, I don't, nothing happens when I go fishing. So what do you do? Well, we're going to try to find the fish. And so you start moving, right? What did Jesus tell a bunch of fishermen back when he first met them? Hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what was his, why, why did he use that analogy? Why, why, why that metaphor? Well, because, because the mission, it's not going to be drop the hook, everybody's in. The mission is going to require obedience. It's going to take some time. You've got to be moving. You've got to be, we're going to talk about that next, you've got to be available to the Holy Spirit. And it's so much easier for the Holy Spirit to direct you and lead you to the fish if you're moving. Are you moving? Been taking some time off, resting on your laurels? I was a great Christian 15 years ago. That ought to do. Is that what you're doing? It's not how this works. Following is an active thing. We move. Peter, as our mentor, teaches us to keep moving. Peter, as our mentor, uh, he does this next thing. He keeps Jesus out in front. He keeps Jesus out in front. He's hanging out, and here's, here's where uh, the, the Holy Spirit leads him. Look at it says. Uh, he goes to Lydda, and he found a man named Aeneas there. Uh, Aeneas had been bedridden for eight years because uh, he was paralyzed. Verse 34. So Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately this lame guy gets up. Now, a lot of times we read the Bible, we've been Christians for a long time, we see the miracles, we're like, yeah, been there, done that, you know, got the t-shirt. A dude who hadn't walked for eight years got up and walked. Everybody say, wow! The power of God is amazing! Don't skip out on the miracles. Let them freak you out a little bit. A guy who got up in the morning and never expected to walk again met a dude named Peter. And Peter said, hey, Jesus Christ heals you. Get on up. <laughs> and that's, I think that was his first move. He got up and he went James Brown on that thing. And Peter had to say, hey, hold it with the James Brown. Pick up your mat. You know why he said pick up your mat? You know why he said that? He says, because you're not going to need it anymore. You know what the mat was for a paralyzed guy? It was where he laid while he was begging for his life. He says, you don't need that anymore. Pick it up. And that's what Aeneas does. Look what happened. Verse 35. It says, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon. Uh, that's not a town. If you've never met someone, we have a lady who works at our church named Sharon. I call her the Sweet Rose of Sharon. Uh, it's actually pronounced Sharon. But Sharon was this, uh, this valley. It was basically this verdant, uh, you know, uh, fertile piece of Israel. Uh, just as you come over the coast there uh, from the Mediterranean Sea, it was just this re about, 30, about 30 miles in length. And it says that uh, not just the town of Lydda, but the whole region of Sharon or Sharon saw this Aeneas guy who they knew had been paralyzed. And what happened? They all turned to the who? Jesus. 
to the Lord. Now, back up one verse. <coughs> verse 34 says, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Peter heals you. Rise and make your bed. Is that what Peter said? No, what did he say? Jesus heals you. And as a result of, of Aeneas' healings, verse 35, it says that people in Lydda and Sharon, they saw him and they turned to Peter. Is that what it says? No, they turned to the Lord. They turned to Jesus. How did that equation work out? Well, Peter was very careful. Not about me. It is not about me. There is no power in Peter. In fact, if you're going to be healed, you're going to be healed because of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and now, now listen, I know most of us get this, but, but here's the deal. <laughs> Jesus is supposed to be out front. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you lead with Jesus. He's, he's the first. Thing. Don't bury the lead. You ever heard that? It's, it's a journalism uh, uh, saying, don't bury the lead. Uh, you know where it came from? It came from the Civil War. In the Civil War, uh, loquacious generals would uh, go to the telegraph office, and they would start wanting to report what's going on in their battles, which was the only way they could do intel back then. And so they'd have this long, you know, bunch of verbiage about how, you know, the battle went. And then uh, the telegraphs back then were not entirely reliable. And so a mandate came down from on high. I don't know if it was Grant or someone, but he said, listen, don't bury the lead. I don't, I don't need all your, you know, poetic stuff. Just give me the facts. Tell me who won. Tell me where they're going. Tell me what I do to next, next, uh, need to do next so that we can win this war. Don't bury the lead. I think Christians, unfortunately, for 2,000 years, have found the greatest thing that they could ever find in, in life. I mean, we have been the benefactors of the grace of God. There's nothing better in life. But we bury the lead. People go on our Facebook pages and have to scroll down, uh, you know, to, I don't know, something that happened in October 2012 to even find out that we, w- we go to church, right? And then, uh, you know, some of you, you've been at work for years, and people still don't know what you do on Sundays, they don't, and they don't know that you're a Christian. And why is that? Maybe you're embarrassed. Well, shame on you if you are. Are you kidding me? You found Jesus. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Wake up! And some of you are like, well, maybe it'll change how, you know, the dynamics. Oh, who cares? In fact, here's my, I challenged everybody last night with this. You've got a Facebook page, change your Facebook uh, profile picture. Now, a lot of you are in your Facebook profile pictures. You're having the best time. You're kissing your dog or you're, you know, you're taking the selfie where your chin rolls don't show and all that stuff. <laughs> and that's what you want everybody to see. I'm having the best time of my life. I'm the happiest I could ever be. Uh, read my Facebook page, okay? Take that picture down. <laughs> And just take a picture of a three-by-five card that says, I believe in Jesus Christ. And then let people who frequent your Facebook page be like, really? If they don't know yet. Or be like, oh, thanks for the reminder. I mean, if our identity is in Christ, shouldn't that be our Facebook photo? Now I've got to change mine. I go on there like once a month. Does everybody pick up what I'm putting down? Peter, listen, if there was one guy in the entire uh, history of the church who could, you know, toot his horn a little bit, it'd be Peter. Peter did some pretty amazing stuff. Have you walked on water lately? Peter did. Uh, Did you preach a message that 3,000 people came to Christ? Peter did. Did your shadow ever heal somebody? Peter's did. I mean, if there was anybody in the early church who would be like, you know what, I am something else. It should have been Peter. But look what Peter says. Even as he's writing his letters, look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Stay focused. Kind of talking about that today. But Peter goes on. He's talking to his, his friends, his followers. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't erase them. They still need to be forgiven. But love is a great salve in the wound that sin causes. Isn't it true? How about this? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Everybody who's having someone over for lunch today, quit complaining. All right. <laughs> Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it. He's talking about our spiritual gifts. He's talking about our servanthood. As each of you have, have been gifted by the, oh, the Holy Spirit, go out there and use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, if you're someone who speaks, if you're a teacher, as one who speaks, the oracle of God, go out and speak with the words of God. What do I pray every morning when I get up here to preach? You speak, not me. It's a good prayer. It's right. Don't speak so that people can hear you. Speak so that people can hear Jesus. Whoever serves, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Not in our own strength, not so that we can be like, I'm awesome. But serve in the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through who? Through Jesus. Here's Peter again. He's writing a letter and he's like, listen, man, it's not about us. It's not about all you crazy speakers out there who could twist some words together and make it sound cool. It's about God working through those words. It's not about all of you who serve and serve and serve and serve so much that everybody thinks he's awesome. He is God himself. No, it's not about, it's God working through you as a servant. We do all of these things so that God can be glorified, so that his son Jesus can be lifted up. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Who's him? Jesus. Even late in his life, Peter writes in his letters about how he knows that the clock's ticking. I don't have much time. But even late in his life, he says, it's all about Jesus. To him be the glory forever and ever. And then he says, amen. Where's Jesus in your life? Where's Jesus in mine? He tucked in behind a bunch of other stuff. We thinking, you know what? I've, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a varsity Christian now. I'm not on the JV anymore. I've been doing this a while. Feeling pretty strong. I think it's all about us. It's not how it works. We've got to keep Jesus out in front. Let Peter be our mentor in that. And then finally, Peter teaches us in this period of his life to be available to go anywhere at any time. Peter's hanging out there in uh, Lydda. He's, he's seen Aeneas uh, uh, be healed. He's seen tons of people turn uh, you know, towards Jesus and faith in him. Uh, and it says in verse 36 that there was this, uh, in, in a place called Joppa. Joppa is uh, now modern Jaffa. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically was the old uh, uh, main port in Israel. That's now Haifa, which is up in the north of the, of the country. But Joppa used to be the, the main port that everybody would uh, sail into. And there in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated uh, means Dorcas. Uh, this is Aramaic. This is Greek. Uh, in English, both of those names mean gazelle or deer. She was named gazelle. Uh, an apt name because she was always, you know, springing from one person to another, bringing good cheer and love and charity. That's what it says next. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, the uh, story takes a turn. In those days, this beautiful you know, servant named Tabitha or Dorcas or Gazelle, uh, she becomes ill and she dies. 
And when they had washed her, which was part of the burial process, they laid her in an upper room so there could be a wake of sorts and uh, people could say their goodbyes. Now, since Lida was near Joppa and since someone had heard that this guy Peter uh, was, was hanging out there, uh, the friends of Tabitha, uh, they sent two disciples to find Peter. And they urged him, please, come to us without delay. Why, why, wait, wait, Tabitha's dead. I mean, come, come without delay so you can pay your respects to a woman you've never met? Why were these people so urgent and wanting to find Pete? Well, because Pete was a healer. The Holy Spirit has empowered Peter. Now, they maybe even heard of Aeneas. Peter's in town. He's in the region. He's about 10 miles away. And he's already healed a paralytic. Maybe God will use him to heal Tabitha. Go get him. And that's what they do. And they walk up to Peter cold turkey. Never met him before in his life, probably. I mean, that's what we're assuming. And he says, hey, Pete, you've got to drop everything here in Lida. And you've got to come with us to Joppa to see a dead girl. Everybody picking up the story? Look what happens next. Verse 39. So Peter got up and went. Now, a lot of times we read these things. It's just a matter of fact. It's just part of the flannel graph when we were growing up. It's just part of the story. Everybody pause for a second and think about what that decision took. Peter had to leave a place where he was beloved. He was seeing fruit in his ministry. He, uh, people were coming to Christ. He was probably, because he was an apostle, doing what the, he did with the early church. He was teaching them. He was breaking bread with them. He was, he was busy. And some perfect strangers come into town and say, hey, there's a dead girl over in Joppa. Come on. Peter would have had every logical right to be like, hey, don't you see what's going on here? I am needed here. It's too late for Tabitha. In fact, listen, Peter's a good theologian. Tabitha's a believer, all right? She's a follower of Jesus Christ. Is she better off there than here? Yeah, that would have been a great argument. She's in a better place. We use it all the time when people die to comfort ourselves, right? She's in a better place. Leave her. Leave her alone. But for whatever reason, uh, well, I think I know the reason. Uh, If you raise somebody from the dead in the power of someone's name like Jesus, are there going to be a lot of people in that area who are going to be like, hmm, Jesus, there might be something there. Is everybody with me on that? So I think Peter gets the, you know, gets the message from the Holy Spirit. As he's moving, keep moving. Don't stop in one spot. Keep moving. The Holy Spirit says, hey, man, we got some stuff to do in Joppa. And Pete's like, let's go. Now, look at me. Everybody look at me. Everybody gets that Peter's just a dude like you or me, or, or you know, could have been a, a, a dudette like you, right? He, he's, he's, he's not special. If he is special, it's only because God has made him that way. Are you with me? And so why is it different for you and me when the Holy Spirit provides us opportunities than it would be for him? It's not. So here's what I want you to get. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, learn from Peter. He's our mentor. Always be available. In fact, when, when we talk about people uh, who are good followers of Jesus Christ, I always, always, look, always look for fat people. Some of you are going to be like, oh, that's funny. But it's an acrostic. It means faithful, available, and teachable. Those make the best followers. Fat people. And a lot of times people are faithful. They'll weather the storms. Man, a lot of times people are whooping teachable. Thanks for showing up every week. Appreciate you guys coming. I hope you get something out of the things that I'm saying. Hope this, this is helping, right? Hope you're teachable. But one of the things I think Christians struggle with the most is being available. Because it's my time. It's my life. I got plans. 
Or I'm in this situation that's really good. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to leave it. There's fruit going on here. But the Holy Spirit says, hey, I need you to come 10 miles with me to visit a dead person. And it doesn't make any sense to us, but it's what we're supposed to do. Last week I came home from church. Just so you know, Sunday afternoons around 3 o'clock, my brain shuts off. It just does. I preached all weekend. I, I, I'm out. I'm, dust. I'm, I'm out of gas. And so I've got this uh, new lazy boy in my bedroom. It is awesome, fellas. It is, it is a nap-o-matic. It is, you sit down, you're gone. It's out, right? I just sat down in my nap chair for, you know, a nap. And uh, my wife comes in. She says, hey, Franny's stuck in the yard. Okay, Franny is this uh, missionary who's a part of our church. She's been in the Philippines. She grew up at our church. We love her. She's, she's, she's an amazing lady. Uh, and we wanted, Eleanor invited her over, uh, you know, show her the house. And we had told her, listen, there's a road there. Just stay on the road. I don't know, it's long story short, I don't know what made Franny leave the road, but Franny got onto our, we have five acres of property near our house, and there's a road that goes around it, but, but uh, she decided that she was going to go off-roading in her Kia Sorento. Her, her mom's Kia Sorento. <clears throat> I hope, uh, mom, if you're here, I hope Franny told you this story. Anyway, uh, but she, she pulls off the road, and, and it's, been, it's been this part of the, of the dirt that we've been sending, tr- you know, trucks and trailers uh, and it's just, it's just ground the, the dirt into sand. It's like, like two feet of sand. And so what happened to the Kia Sorento like halfway in? Well, she wasn't going fast enough and just, poof, she buried it right up, like halfway up the tires. And I'm laying in my, I'm laying in my lazy boy and Eleanor comes, it's like Franny's stuck. Everything in me wants to say, well, that stinks, bummer. <laughs> I'll be up from my nap in about an hour and a half. If she's still there, maybe I'll take a look. But that's not why Eleanor came into the room. She wanted action now. And so I got up out of my chair, and I, I got a truck now that we've been using out there, and it's got four-wheel drive, and long story short, I stole Walter's rope. I still have it, by the way. I'll give it back. But uh, tied it onto the back. I hoped it was something that wasn't going to snap the gas tank off or something, but I, I tied it onto the, to the back of her car, and, and I, I popped her out of there. It worked just fine. I went back to my chair. But... Uh, uh, Anybody with me on those? Or are you like, really? You need help now? Call somebody else. Now, the car will be fine. So we can get that next week. We'll give her a ride home. I mean, there's all these things that go through your head, right? <laughs> Just so I don't have to stop what I'm doing. But look at me, church. Does everybody understand that God is always at work around us? Even when we're not moving, he is. That he's always determining opportunities for us to be used by him and his mission. And he comes to us with those opportunities, and it is dreadfully inconvenient sometimes. It's going to cost us. It's going to wreck our our vibe. We've got a good thing going here. But it's in those moments that God accomplishes amazing things. And we miss so many of them because we just can't be bothered. I was getting ready to, last story, I was getting ready to preach. That's over a year and a half ago now. It was a, a Saturday, I come in on Saturdays and I get ready to preach. I got a call that day. Uh, uh, there was a guy at Moffitt, he was getting treatments for cancer. and uh, He was loosely affiliated with our church, been here a couple times, but he would really like to talk to a pastor. I was the guy, I, you know, I was, and, and, and listen, on a Saturday, I got to preach Saturday night. I could have played that card. I'm getting ready for my sermon. I don't really have time to go up there and see you. Can I see you later? Blah, blah, blah. 
But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit just affirmed in my heart, hey, man, you got to go now. And so I'm in my car. I'm driving to Moffat. I get the, his name's Stan. I get to Stan's room. His wife introduces me. It's the first time I met any of them. And uh, uh, Stan had just come back from his, he had just had a bag of chemo, you know, dragged, uh, drained into his veins. And uh, he wasn't feeling real great, okay? He was kind of retching in the bathroom when I got there. Uh, he comes out. And, I mean, the, the cancer had just ravaged this guy. And uh, he's standing there and his open back to uh, 90. Those were always discreet, right? And that's how we met. Oh, hey, Stan. Hey, Stan's butt. How's it going? And uh, <laughs> Stan sat down. And we just started talking. And I'll tell you what. I've, I've been a part of, you know, 46 years old, I've been a part of some pretty amazing spiritual things. Uh, but I can't tell you what happened in that room. It was just, uh, we said our, our hellos, and then it went deep. Boom. Stan said to me, he says, I'm not going to beat this cancer. I mean, God, I mean, because that's what I saw I was there for. We're going to pray him out of this cancer. We're going to pray, 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 and he'll be healed. And he says, listen, all the doctors tell me, and even in my spirit, I sense I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I mean, I want us to pray, but I, I don't know how much longer I have. And he says, listen, I've, I've been around the God thing for a long time. Uh, I know about it. I haven't lived for him at all. But I, I feel like I'm going to meet him soon. And I just want to be ready. Can you tell me how I can be ready to meet Jesus? I get chill bumps just talking about it because it wasn't scripted. I hadn't planned it. I hadn't set the appointment up. I was just sitting there, and I was sharing the gospel with this dude. And there has never been a more sincere salvation uh, prayer in, your, in anybody's life. Stan, on the brink of his, his life ending, said, Jesus, you are my Savior. I am a sinner. I need you. Uh, take me to you. And, and, he, and then he prayed for his family. Oh, man. We could hardly keep it together. He died about uh, three weeks later. I got to do his funeral. And listen, uh, that Saturday I came back. I can't tell you what I preached. I can't tell you what I preached last week. Okay? The sermons just kind of leave so they can make room for the next one. <clears throat> but I will never forget the hour I spent with Stan that day. And that hour would have never happened if I had been default Mark and been like, I'm too busy with the Lord's work to come and hang out with you. I'm so grateful that Peter, listen, you know, I'm not going to have time for the rest of the story. It's one of those sermons that gets away from you. But, but Tabitha comes back from the dead. It's one of the five or six recitate, resuscitations in the first five books of the Bible. I mean, she, she comes back to life in the entire city of Joppa proclaims the name of Christ. People come to Jesus because Peter got off his duff and left a comfortable situation so that the Holy Spirit could work through him. Oh, that you and I, you and I would be available like that. So now, as we've learned from our mentor, may we stay on the move. If you're not moving, would you please start again if it's been a while? If, you, if you've never moved, would you start for the first time? Can we get in position? Some of you are like, oh, if I could just think of a place where God could use me. Are you kidding me? We stand up here all summer and talk about ways that you get to get involved in our church. Well, I don't know if that'll work. Who cares if it works? Just start. Move. Over in that room, in that building next door, there could be the next Billy Graham. Now, some of your parents are like, well, I know who it's not. But listen. <laughs> listen to me. Billy Graham started somewhere. The great men and women of the faith started somewhere. And if they're growing up at our church, 
you could be in the lineage of the faith of someone who is a game changer in the church someday. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Just be available to serve the next Billy Graham. Quit yammering to me about how there's no opportunities. Go find one. Keep moving. Put Jesus out in front. We are Christ followers. If you follow, you're behind. He's in front. And be available. I always tell people, ministry happens in the cracks. You can almost never schedule ministry. Like, you can schedule programs and stuff like that, and hopefully something great happens. God's always good. But the big things, those happen when no one's looking. When no one's expecting them. You think about when you trusted Christ, was that on your calendar that day? Let's follow Peter, because he's followed Christ. Let's be like Peter and make a difference for Christ. Let's be a church that causes ripples in the culture we're in, because we live as Christ describes here. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks for your grace and the chance to talk about it. Thanks for Peter and others like him, uh, men and women alike, who set the tone. Uh, Lord, we want to learn from their experiences, not just their words, but from how they lived. And so, God, uh, we want to learn from those things, and then we want to live those things. Help us to, to move beyond ourselves in this, this, this following of you. May we uh, get over ourselves and set that aside and just be available uh, so that you can use us for your mission. Now, there's some people in here who don't know you yet. I pray that they, they join us in this grace that you've given us through Christ, that they would receive, uh, like Stan did, you know, uh, their salvation uh, through their faith. But then for all, for all of us, Lord, as, as we enter faith for the first time or as we experience it for, you know, uh, however long it's been, I pray that we'd live it full hearts, full on, moving with you in front, and always available for what you have next. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen? Hey, uh, we got some snacks out there. Go talk to Family Ministries. Let this be your day to start moving. God bless you as you do. Have a great week.